Kia ora. Where do you store random objects of potential practicality? The batteries, plasters and paper clips you accumulate in life. This podcast is pretty much that place. You have opened the audio drawer. Here we're hoarding recordings for New Zealand Baptists. Because one day... This episode could be just the thing. Andrew Pickard, lecturer and director at Cary Graduate School, shares what is at the heart of Baptist identity. This is Baptist Identity, Dead or Alive, Is It Wanted? A recording of Andrew's keynote at the National Baptist Hui 2018, Whakawatea, Clearing the Way. Uh, tēnā koutou katoa, um, ko Andrew Pickard tuku ingoa. Um, when, I, um, when I first came to faith, uh, in a Baptist church, I was involved with Alpha, and I didn't know what Baptists were, so I asked the Baptist leader, uh, the, the Alpha group leader, what's a Baptist? And they said to, uh, she said to me, um, I think because we don't, follow, don't drink, it's because we follow John the Baptist. Um, so you can imagine my indignation when I went to Kerry and Laurie Guy tried to tell me about John Smith and Thomas Halwis and, you know, the, 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 Laurie just needed to read the Bible. Um, in, the, in the pastorate, I, I remember a couple telling me why they were Baptists. They were Baptists because um, they want to have their say. And I actually thought I misheard them, and they said they wanted to have their sway. Um, um, so the, there's a surprising interest in Baptist identity at the moment. Um, I say surprising because I remember going to Christchurch a few years ago to speak about Baptist identity. Um, and the 15 of us that were there, dead or alive as it wanted, and the 15 of us there let out a, a, a raucous whisper. Yes, um, no, maybe, um, you, you know. Um, and there's various reactions to, to Baptist identity, I find. Um, one is um, the age of denominational labels is over, so let's move on. Uh, and I can understand that. Um, for others, they say, um, yes, let's recover being Baptist. I'm a Baptist, so be like me. And, and, um, but before we forget something, I think we have to remember what it is that we're forgetting, right? Um, and if we're remembering something, we have to be sure that we're not misremembering something, right? Baptist identity isn't an empty bucket that we can just throw our kind of most pleasing thoughts into. It pre-exists our like or dislike of it. Um, Yes, of course, a good church is a good church is a good church. But I want to kind of explore whether Baptist identity could fuel our imagination for today. That's what I want us to do. And so rather than um, examining Baptist principles... I want us to look at a Baptist dynamic, a Baptist way of being. Because Baptists didn't get to sit down and come up with these principles and pillars because actually they were being chased and and persecuted and often killed. They were on the run, um, making do. So I think really rather than examining the principles, we want to look at a Baptist dynamic. What is it that gives Baptists their feel? What is distinctive about a Baptist way? Um, At the heart of Baptist identity is not a set of principles. 
at the heart of Baptist identity is a person, Jesus Christ, who is present when we gather together. Every church, of course, believes that Jesus is present when we gather. But for Baptists, it's how Jesus is present that makes the difference. And it's the difference that makes all differences for Baptists. It's when we gather together that Christ promises to be present. Baptists don't have a different view about the Trinity. We don't have a different view about Christology. We don't have a different view about the Spirit. We don't have a different view about humanity or creation or or the end. But we do have a distinctive view about the church. And it makes a big difference in every way. Early Baptists um, believed that the church of their day was ungodly and corrupt. It was kind of uh, this bad mixture of sheep and goats, and most were goats, particularly the clerical ones. Um, And so the church needed to become a community of radical disciples. That's the heartbeat of Baptists, radical disciples. And Mark and Karen's comment about radical disciples and radical evangelism, radical mission. So Baptists separated from the church that existed to form distinct and separate communities that were committed to God and one another, no matter what it would cost them. And it cost them plenty. Baptists were chased. They were persecuted and they were killed for their faith. At the heart of their, um, and, and so, you know, in that day, to, to stand against the national church or the established church was to be seditious, basically. So I think a key identity for Baptists is that we've been troublemakers and stirrers for the gospel. All right? Um, early Baptists believe, this is their favorite text, um, that where two or three are gathered, Jesus Christ is present and in our midst. And because he's present... Everything is different. That changes everything. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. It's not that where two or three are gathered, I might be there, but I am there among them. And because Jesus is present, the church is freed from following all other rules and rulers. Because Christ is present when we gather together. And he gives to the church the power of binding and loosing. Christ alone rules in the church, and his will is discerned by the gathered community, because that's where he promises he'll be present. The church is not an autocracy where one person's will is done, but nor is the church a democracy where the majority's will gets done. The church is a Christocracy where Christ's will is done. It's a subtle but really important difference for Baptists. Yes, Christ calls leaders to the church, but it is to serve as sub-leaders in Christ's ongoing ministry so that he may rule and reign in the church. This means that leaders certainly lead in the ways of Christ, and they do so by listening to the gathered community to hear Christ's voice. It's this promised presence of Christ and the gathered people that made a profound difference for Baptists. So rather than looking at the the pillars or the principles of Baptists, I want us to look at this dynamic, and I want to look at five freedoms, five ways of being 
a dynamic approach to understanding what it might mean to be Baptist. So the first one is freed in Christ, walking together. We walk together. The early Baptists believed that God had broken his covenant with the established church. And so they separated from the church and made covenants to God and one another. A report from the soon-to-be Baptist church at Gainsborough said that they joined themselves together, uh, joined themselves by a covenant of the Lord into a church estate in the fellowship of the gospel, this is Old English, to walk in all his ways made known or to be made known unto them according to their best endeavors whatsoever it should cost them, the Lord assisting. This is the promise that the earliest Baptists made to one another. Covenants were a normal part of the Reformation. Um, and through the covenant idea, it was the promises of God given to humanity and then worked out amongst the church, right? So there was kind of a two-stage process. God's relationship with humanity and a covenant of grace, which is then worked out within the life of churches, a vertical relation and then a horizontal relation. Baptists came up with a really innovative idea. They believed that the promises of the Old Testament, like God promising to dwell amongst or to, to take a people to be his own, were found in their fellowships. So for them, it wasn't that firstly there was God and then the horizontal relations, but that the two were fused together. God's promises to, of grace to humanity are worked out simultaneously in the gathered church. Simultaneously. So they talked of walking together in the ways of the Lord and watching over one another in love. These two things coming together. God's promises of grace become real in and through the community of promise, the community that gives themselves to God and one another. And this was a radical innovation that Baptists came up with that made a huge difference to the way in which they were churched together. This is this dynamic of walking together and watching over one another in love, commitment no matter what, to be together. And it's from here that we get our modern idea of membership. But of course, there's the question, does our modern processes of membership capture this adequately? The second dynamic I think that's interesting that emerges is this idea that the, of a journey and an open journey. Notice the language of walking in the ways known and to be made known as we walk together. Baptists would say the Lord has yet more light to shine forth from his word as we walk together. This isn't um, a Christian version of old anxiety where we kind of hold hands together once a year and get a whiff of community for a moment. You know, you know particularly with our mates that we like. Um, I mean, church is that place where you have to learn to be with people you wouldn't be caught dead with on a Saturday night. That's church. Um, and it's hard. It's hard, and I know it's hard because I haven't done that well at it always, to be in relationship with people that we don't necessarily want to be. Covenant community is a radical commitment to God and one another in which we can't be whole without each other. And we can't be faithful without learning to love one another in our otherness, in our difference. 
For New Zealand Baptists in the 21st century, this means that we need to hold the quality of our common life to be just as important as the quantity. Baptists not only um, walk together, they seek together. We seek Christ's will together. Christ isn't found in the dictates that are issued from on high, but in and through the gathered community. And Christ's promised presence in the gathered church seeks the way we understand seeking, changes the way we understand seeking. We gather together to seek Christ's will and to obey it. And we do it by engaging with Scripture in community. It's not to be in Scripture and outside of community with my interpretation, nor is it to be in my community and outside of Scripture as, we, as our community does it this way. It's to somehow hold intention being in Scripture and in community together. Baptists seek Christ's will in and through Scripture and community because we believe deeply that Scripture is the primary means that Christ uses to slay us and make us alive. That's where Christ accosts us, is in the Word and in community. To be in Scripture means engaging Scripture as our primary orientation with sustained engagement with Scripture. This is not a glancing blow, but a full impact. This is not the skimming of the surface, but a genuinely deep plunge into Scripture. It's not enough to give out cries of being biblical with the assumption that that means what I think it means. What the text means today begins by examining what the text meant in its first audience. And that requires some serious hard work and heavy lifting that equips a community to engage responsibly with Scripture. At the same time, this has to be done in community. There is no space that protects me and my reading from the challenge of others. Authority for interpretation lies in the gathered community where Christ promises to be present. We seek Christ's will together through Scripture and in community, and it is difficult, and it is messy, and it is inefficient, and it can be painful. And it can lead to some intense conversations, and if we're honest, done poorly, it can be heartbreaking. As one commentator says, um, Baptists are biblicists until they're not, and then they split. But done well, it's this rich and powerful journey of discipleship as it extends itself through mutual love and trust. Engaging with the other in their otherness and learning, huh, I've never seen it that way. That's interesting. From the earliest days, Baptists actually developed communal forms of reading scripture. Um, and for interpreting, someone would preach a sermon for an hour. <laughs> Then someone else would get up and respond for another hour, and then another for another hour, and another for another hour. And other than their stamina, um, we are struck by the way in which they did this together. Men and women preached and interjected, and they developed these forms of talkback sermons that actually really got up the nose of the established church. 
really got up the nose. Baptists were ridiculed for these talkback sermons and their disorder. So um, Thomas Edwards, this is his book called Gangrena. Um, and you can imagine you know, what, what, what this, it means like a, um, well, it means gangrenous. It means like a, a, a leeching sore that putrefies the body. Um, another name for Baptists. Um, <laughs> so Edwards was this Puritan heresy hunter. And um, he believed this, this practice of offering counter-narratives and interjecting, particularly of God's ordained, was heresy. And yet for Baptists, this way of reading scripture and community was at the heart of their seeking together. And I think it has radical implications for us today as we seek Christ together. Steve Holmes, the Baptist theologian, um, says, at the heart of seeking together, there is a necessary lack of competence to know the will of God. A necessary lack of competence. No one knows the will of the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son reveals it. We don't get to arrive assuming, I know what the will of God is, outside of community. That means that in the gathered community, there are no trump cards. There are no authoritative voices that get to rule over the gathered community because Christ alone rules in his church. No voice, no matter how visionary, no matter how educated, no matter how successful or how articulate or how qualified or how powerful, can silence other voices and command Christ's will to the gathered people. None can do that. To do so is to usurp the lordship of Christ in his community. If scripture is to be believed, then Christ is found regularly on the margins. Saying and doing really surprising things. N.T. Wright says Christ was killed for who he ate with. Um, but often in the way we practice church meetings, we can protect the central voice and avoid the margins and stifle the surprise of Christ's will. Christ speaks through the disabled, the refugee, the outcast, the marginalized and the poor, and our church practices of discernment must enable this. When Baptists first used the voting system, Baptists didn't always vote because the Westminster style wasn't actually invented by then. Um, but when we did employ the voting system, it was a time when about 10% of the British population, the richest, wealthiest 10% of males, the aristocracy, were the people who were given the vote. Baptists took this idea and they gave it to everyone, typical Baptists. They just lay it out, men, women, rich, poor, it didn't matter. And in this way, actually, the process of voting at that time was a subversive move by Baptists. It subverted patriarchy and it gave dignity to the poor and the oppressed. And the question is today, in a society that's used to secret ballot systems of voting, is this culturally subversive or culturally accommodated? This means for New Zealand Baptists in the 21st century, we may need to consider whether our practices of meeting are more about idea affirmation than idea generation. Maybe listening hui processes might be more faithful forms of seeking together than voting by secret ballot. It may be messier, it may be more inefficient, but it might just well be more faithful too. Yeah. Baptists don't just um, walk together and seek together, we worship together 
too. And it's a distinctive way of worshipping. Um, according to Edwards, Baptist didn't give a rip about formalities, to, much to his chagrin. Um, Baptists believed they didn't have to meet weekly. Um, they didn't have to set a, a period of time to meet for. They didn't have consecrated places of worship. They didn't follow the set prayers. They didn't believe that priests were the only ones who could pray. Um, anyone could lead communion. It didn't have to be a sanctioned clergy. Anyone could write their own hymns. Anyone could preach. It was chaos, according um, to Edwards. So uh, mechanics and shoemaker, and as a former mechanic, I love this, uh, Mechanics and shoemakers and tailors and peddlers and weavers, they preached the gospel. And it really ticked the establishment off. Yeah, Baptists believe that when um, diverse voices come together to worship God and walk together in God's ways, God smiles. And to, you know, I, just, I, I had a quick chat with Craig saying, isn't it amazing what God is doing amongst the Baptists in New Zealand, in Aotearoa, to see the diversification? Yeah, there's more to do and there's further to go, and I want to talk about that. But isn't it incredible? You know, for those of you involved in this work and seeing what God is doing and, and joining God in it, you know, I want you to, to say, you know, keep going, because God smiles. God's pleased. Uh, in the early Baptist churches, women preached too. Uh, you can hear it from here. Women who are constant, keep constant lectures, preaching weekly to many men and women. Um, we know that um, th there's a book talking about these she preachers. Um, she preachers. She preachers. <laughs> uh, and there were about three, in the dissenting tradition, there's about 300 she preachers in the 17th century. And among them were many, many Baptists. Baptist women preached. Um, for their day, Baptists were radicals. So Baptists said that the church has power to elect and approve and ordain her own deacons, both men and women. You can imagine how Edward's like that one. Um, we can't pretend that Baptists were particular, were, were, were um, open to all forms of women in leadership. They weren't. But for their context and their day, they were radicals, and people hated them for it. Uh, it's interesting, in the early 1880s, um, a lady called Mrs. Hampson came to Aotearoa New Zealand. She was an Anglican um, and came from overseas to preach the gospel in Aotearoa New Zealand. And her ministry is phenomenal. She spoke to over 3,500 people in Dunedin at Hanover. Um, she preached throughout the country and thousands of people came to Christian faith. Thousands of people. And um, the Baptists were all over it. We were like, this is awesome. So um, this is some of the things that we are saying. Celebrated its ministry, her ministry and its impact. Um, but the Anglicans, were, from whom she, she came, were a little kind of disturbed by this. They, yes, there were some who celebrated, but, uh, and one sympathizer wrote into the Anglican Church News and said, I think the Baptists, you know, they're reading her ministry through Joel and Acts. They might have got it right. And, um, and, then, and then came the voice of um, reason. Uh, from the Anglican Church said that dissenters, well, we all know that they love to reject the gospel and God's word, and they do it so that they can kind of um, bolster up their numbers. And with the, the kind of, you know, a hundred odd years later, you think, gee, that's fascinating, isn't it? Baptists are being hauled over the coals from Anglicans about scripture. Um, <laughs> Baptists um, have always been disruptors and troublemakers for the gospel. Baptists held a dynamic view of worship, um, freedom under Christ to kind of make do. 
We were making do. We were on the run. Baptists had um, lots of varied and various expressions of church because they had to. There weren't polite spaces for them to worship in. This bakery will do, this field will do, this prison will do. Everywhere and anywhere can be a church when you're just making do. When the authorities raided uh, their churches like Broadmead, they placed old, um, the older maids um, up the stairs to block the paths of the authorities so that the um, others could get out the window and run away. Um, and then when they were sent, the authorities were sending spies into Baptist gatherings to, to find out, because it was illegal for Baptists to preach, their nonsense. Um, so they spent these spies in, and what Baptists did is they created a curtain um, where 50 trusted ones could be on the inside of the curtain and see the preacher, but any guests and strangers would have to sit outside the curtain and not see it. And when the authorities came, the preacher sat down and they pulled the curtain down and no one knew who had been preaching. Um, LAUGHTER and then the magistrates, they would leave, and, and the preacher, the, up would go the curtain, and back goes the, up the preacher. Yeah, this is Baptist, making do. Making do. Baptists believe that those who the Lord has set free are truly free indeed. There's not singular visions of doing and being church. There's ways of living under Christ's rule together. We may do. And I think as we engage questions about church decline, our forebears might have something that they can offer us. Making do. We are going to need a variety of creative ideas that we just simply say, go for it. And there'll be dead ends, and there'll be cul-de-sacs, and there'll be failures, and there'll be some successes and bright sparks. What we don't need to think is, well, my way's the way. What we need to think is, hey, go for it. We need a variety of ways. It means experimentation, it means false starts, it means some potential failure, but we will learn to make do in some really complex times. So Baptists um, worship together. Baptists also unite together. For all the freedom of the local church, Baptists believed in the interdependence of churches. The local church is not the universal church, it is a local expression of it. Christ sets us free in and through relationships with other people and churches. Christ does not set us free from relationships with other churches and people. <laughs> Just like the Baptist conviction of the liberty of conscience does not mean the modern doctrine of each to their own sprinkled with a little bit of theological fairy dust. That's not what we mean. We mean we are free from coercion and enforced faith. It is not freedom from Christ, but freedom for Christ. Local churches are freed in relationship with God and others, including relationships with other churches. The affirmation that Christ rules alone in the local church does not mean the church goes it alone. Christ rules over other covenant communities, and Baptists acknowledged this meant a necessity for churches to hold communion among themselves for their peace, increase of love, and mutual edification. One of the earliest Baptist associations was the Abingdon Association, in which they said, the particular churches ought to hold firm communion with each other in point of advice in doubtful matters and controversies because there is the same relation between the particular churches with each other as there is between particular members of the one church. Of course, in a covenantal framework, 
the same relation carries serious meaning. Our languaging of associating, of gathering, of, uni of, of um, unioning or un uniting is relational language, covenantal language. It's not an optional language. Language about the freedom of the local church spills over often into language about autonomy, and I, I know that there's positive examples of that. I'm cautious with the word because Baptists talk about freedom. Autonomy carries, you know, literally, altos, one's own, nomos, law. I don't think we want those who are law unto themselves. You know, we are talking about not independence, but interdependence. The local church is free to respond to Christ's leadership in relation with others. It's a freedom that we find in relationship. We're not a group of individual churches who believe alone together. Uniting together is a, an obedient response to Christ who calls us to walk together in the bonds of covenant love and trust. It certainly means working together functionally, and we're doing that with mission and all kinds of other things. And I'm particularly, I, I, I've just seen the pressing on initiative that these seven churches in Auckland are doing. I think it's brilliant. So we're working together, but what Baptist meant was not just working together, but walking together. Not just doing stuff together, but being a distinctive people together. Covenanting means work, walking together and uh, working together and walking together with all that entails in Baptist identity. For New Zealand Baptists in the 21st century, uniting together means taking seriously Paul's call to be Christ's body that consists of many members. No one should think of another, I have no need of you. And no one should feel, I don't belong here. God has so ordered his body to be this way for God's purposes. So we, we, we walk together, we seek together, we worship together, we unite together, and we witness together. Baptists are a mission people, and as Mark and Karen have just said, we're a people of mission, and perhaps more than any other denomination can say that mission has been at the heart of our being. For almost the whole of Baptist history, we have been committed to seeing individuals and society transformed by the gospel, and we don't need to make choices about those things. They're the same. When Baptists fled early persecu uh, the persecution, Thomas Helwes, their leader, they fled away from England to, to Amsterdam to avoid the persecution, and then Thomas Helwes reflected on it and said, no, we need to go back to England to witness to the gospel, come what may. Like under you know, let's return to the persecution because we need to proclaim the gospel. And he goes to, to King James to say, hey, you know, the way you're coercing people into um, faith, that's wrong. Cut it out. You are not God. Um, this is of King James Version fame. And so King James arrests him and puts him in prison and Halwis dies. Yeah, but this is Halwis's great witness, the freedom of the gospel. Whether William Carey, Andrew Fuller, David Bosch, or Rosalie McGeorge, we must remain committed to mission to claim a Baptist identity. This mission work has evangelism at its heart to see people's tr lives transformed by the gospel. And there are countless creative examples of that in our movement. But the Baptist vision of mission extends beyond evangelism to include the redemption of society and social orders. And again, we don't need to choose between them. 
Early Baptists, and this is important, didn't just believe that they were to do mission, but that they are mission. That the church is God's mission displayed to the world. The church is kind of the first fruits. It is the trailer to God's great movie of redemption. If you want to know what the movie's like, have a look at the trailer. That's the calling of the church. Like Paul says, the church's rich variety displays Christ's reconciling power, not just to the world, but the cosmos. And when we are divided, the powers and principalities can fold their arms and think, there's not much to worry about here. But if we are to be a sign of the kingdom of God, it makes us ask the question, what are we signifying? And it's here that there's some hard questions for us to ask. Why did it take 70 years for a Māori voice to be heard in this forum at a Baptist assembly? 70 years. Um, And we want to celebrate the incredible progress we're seeing in bicultural relations, multicultural relations, all kinds of work. But still we know that many who are not part of the dominant culture feel that they face obstacles and obstructions. There are very few Māori ministry heads, college principals, college lecturers, national leaders, or even elders within our churches. These are questions of justice and equity, but more importantly, they are questions about faithfulness. Are we displaying God's wisdom in its rich variety? Similarly, we can celebrate that women were voting in Baptist churches long before they were in the ballot box. They were. But we have to also acknowledge that women were excluded from this forum for 26 years as voting delegates. Even after the vote was given to women in Aotearoa, New Zealand, it was another 15 or 16 years before women were allowed to be voting delegates at Baptist Hui. Why is it um, that it took New Zealand Baptists, um, even though John John Smith talks about um, in 1609 that women can be deacons, that it took New Zealand Baptists until 1956 before they accepted Pat Priest, who was one of the elders in my church at Napier before she passed away. Why did women wait to 1956 to be accepted to train as deaconesses? And these issues aren't just historic issues, they're contemporary, and I think Heather has done a profound job of highlighting those. Amy Chilton, a Baptist theologian, says, but we Baptist women are called by God to be priests to each other and to our brothers. We come from a heritage of women drowned for refusing their children to be baptized as babies, of women preachers on train cars in the Wild West, of women who were some of the first ordained deacons in the land of the free, and she's speaking from America. So that Māori and woman were excluded from this setting is an issue of justice and inequality, but it is a particular issue about faithfulness. In a Baptist vision, It is our distinctive way of being the church together that's at the heart of who we are. Walking in the ways of Christ together and giving witness to God's gospel. 
These questions might be uncomfortable to ask, but Baptist is always, we've always been troublemakers for the gospel. We've always been disruptors of the status quo. And as dissenters, we don't just dissent from the world out there. We are free to dissent from our own history. We are free to dissent from ourselves. And what we've done, it's called repentance. For the sake of faithfulness. The voice of dissent is not just a big loud no to everything and everyone else. It's enveloped in a much bigger yes to God's kingdom. It is a yes to the vision of a great multitude from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue. It is a yes to God's perspective that there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, because all are one in Christ. Baptists are disruptors of the status quo and troublemakers for the gospel. And it is our desire to see God's kingdom come in our common life together. And it stirs us on to greater faithfulness. For New Zealand Baptists in the 21st century, witnessing together means that we think carefully about who is and who is not using the microphone. Who is and who is not in our elderships. And on whose terms do we gather? Often I think the journey to greater faithfulness can be seen as kind of particularly from dominant perspectives of giving up ground. I'm giving up ground so others can kind of have some ground. Loss for the dominant. The the kingdom is in a maths equation. Um, Like no one loses. Like the only one who's given up is Christ for the sake of all. So it's not a maths equation. No one needs, there are no winners and losers in the kingdom. Christ has given up himself in order that we would experience the richness of God's kingdom and the joy that comes through community and life together. Um, I've been teaching the book of Revelation this last semester at Kerry. I've just finished it. Um, First time through. Um, So we talked about Revelation and the justice of God. And... um, in it, for the last assignment, I said to them, look, pick a theme in the, Revela- the book of Revelation and come up with, you know, you know, you know begin to, to just see how that integrates with an issue of justice. And so students are like, okay, okay, yeah, good, good. Uh, and then, and then um, I don't know if he says, is Nui here? Manaki Nui Takahu comes to me and he says, oh, look, Andrew, look, um, can I do a haka as a form of theolo- theopolitical worship? ha, ha, ha. Um, yeah, okay, sure. You know, like Revelation's a noisy, smelly, busy kind of book. Um, yep, go for it. The idea catches fire. Uh, Caleb Takahu comes to me. Uh, look, can I, um, can I carve a taiaha that, that, that embeds within the carving the theme of witness to the gospel? Sure, go for it. Uh, uh, and then um, a, a a woman, a girl who's in, in the class, she's a justice fashion designer who takes recycled clothing and makes new fashion garments. She says, I want to create a wedding dress out of, out of Revelation, the image of the bride. <laughs> sure, go for it. Um, um, another one says, um, oh, I want to do spoken word poetry. Okay, sure. Another a business proposal that integrates tetiriti with a business. Okay, yeah, sure. Paintings, podcasts, photo boards, writing new songs, and examining Revelation's use in the Anglican prayer book. Uh, sure. I mean, these aren't my ideas. I didn't come up with it, and I've now got to sprint to catch up to what God's up to. 
Creativity from another perspective is a gift, not a loss. It's a gain. And it opens up a whole new world for others as we walk together in Scripture and in community on the way and in the fray, in the thick of it. The Baptist dynamic is found in the generative quality of our life together under God, on the way and in the fray. It's as we walk together and seek together and worship together and unite together and witness together that God shapes us to be his people for his glory. And thanks be to God. did you get here? Did the Baptist NZ app have anything to do with it? Because that's where the gospel renewal stories shared by our faith communities are at. In the midst of more, Baptist NZ on App Store and Google Play.